Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's February 21st, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, and joining me on today's podcast, Haley Bird and Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much. Now, just so we're straight about this, Haley, because we want to introduce you to the listeners of this podcast, you once actually physically attacked a member of the United States Senate. I think we need to clear the air on this. What actually happened? So it was accidental, I will say. It was during the health care vote in the Senate over the summer. Uh, there was a group of reporters in the press gallery watching the vote go down. Um, and I got excited with some body language during a conversation between John McCain and Mike Pence. And I pointed with my arm and hit my notebook off the side of the desk in front of me. And it fell into the chamber and hit Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina on the head. Uh, he took it like a champ and had a very good sense of humor about it. So, But they still don't really trust me with and my notebook in the press gallery anymore. Oh, okay, great. So, so this is your story and you are sticking with it because I've seen the YouTube video of United States senators sitting on the floor when this object comes out of nowhere and strikes a sitting member of the United States Senate. And so you, you were never visited by Capitol Police or the Secret Service? Nothing like that ever happened? No, no. Like but the sergeant happened. at arms was frustrated with me and I do not have the notebook anymore. He kept it. Really? They did not return the notebook. All right. We're going <laughs> to... I, I had right, the well, option to visit gonna, the office and try to get it, but I, I figured to let just let it lie. I, I think it belongs in the Smithsonian or something. Just just some uh, some artifact, some historical moment, you know, in, including how rare anyone would use the word excited in the same sentence as Mike Pence and John McCain. But okay, we're we're gonna get to all kinds of things, including um, the late Billy Graham. We're gonna be talking about the Mueller investigation. But I want to start off with this. You know, are the kids all right or not? Look, I you guys probably know, but I I am a super cynic on all things related to guns because I've seen this play out too many times, and we know how the play always ends. You know, ban bump stocks. Okay, I mean, who even knew they even existed a few months ago? But the wrinkle in this story. Um, are, is, the, is the kids, these students from, you know, the Stoneman Douglas High School down in Florida who've become something of a media and political sensation and target for these bizarre conspiracy theories that, that they're actors, that they're coached, that one of them is actually the son of an FBI agent, that they're Soros-funded. Um, I want to get your take on this. Uh, let's start with you, Haley. You, you know, your, your take on, on the way these the kids are playing out and why they have elicited such a snarky and often nasty response. You know, that that is a good question. I think uh, the difference here is that the kids are old enough that they are able to uh, participate in the discourse and call for change, uh, which is what they're doing. And it's obviously riling up some people and some conspiracy theorists on the right. Uh, with lawmakers, I think they're responding differently. You see Marco Rubio sort of trying to engage with these students um, and and others are doing the same thing. But you saw yesterday a state representative, uh, one of his aides, was you know peddling those conspiracy theories. So that definitely has been interesting to watch. I think there's a town hall with them tonight on CNN. And yeah. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think that'll be interesting to watch. That should be. I mean, Dinesh D'Souza, um, try, I, maybe there's a contest out there for how, how low can he go, the most loathsome lo- human being in the world. And he was actually mocking the kids on Twitter. And uh, it's an indication of, of maybe the climate that, that even Dinesh D'Souza had to apologize and CPAC put out a statement kind of throwing him under the bus. Let me ask you this, Andrew. Uh, you know, 
are we overhyping this or are these kids actually going to change the dynamic of this debate? Well, I think that uh, one thing that is very different is that they, um, even though they are, you know, as as has been pointed out a thousand times on social media, they are kids. Um, they, you know, they don't have some of the experience that you know some of these other people, uh, you know, contemplating these issues have, just in terms of contemplating the policy. Um, but at the same time, they do have uh, a personal authority to speak on these things um, that a lot of other people uh, lack. I mean, it's 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 been beaten to death that. Um, you know, pe- people on the right who you know have uh, compelling arguments for for why they believe what they believe about guns. Um, you know, they, they 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 have a sound case, but a lot of times have not you know had to encounter these issues um, in in the same kind of visceral, concrete way that these kids did. And I think it, it sort of points to. Um, there's, there's, as you mentioned, two sort of different uh, bad responses that some people on the right have uh, ha- have gotten themselves into. And of course, the one, the one is these ridiculous conspiracy theories um, that have that that have been popping up all over social media and that have gotten a surprising amount of traction just among yeah, including some of them that were liked by Donald Trump Jr. himself, pushed out by Gateway pundit and True pundit. And some of these guys who had sort of, you know, made their bones as being, you know, the, the sites of fake news over the last year or so. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. Years, but so. but perhaps the the more um you know the the more worrisome side of things is uh, from from these people who aren't necessarily just you know fake actual fake news peddlers like Infowars or the the Gateway pundit or, or what have you, but but just people who are um you know, pundits who are so far into the sort of pro-Trump. Uh, circles that they sort of reflexively see any challenger on policy or political issues as just someone to be belittled and you know beaten down and and attacked back at, and and in this case that clearly backfired just because the the, the people that they were belittling uh, and, uh, and 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 attacking were so clearly a sympathetic uh, group who obviously were speaking from you know sort of a, a sincere place. Well, we ought to mention that uh, it goes both ways. Chris Cuomo from CNN getting a lot of flack for retweeting a, a fake story about a kid who claimed that he had gotten gone in and bought an AR-15 in 15 minutes, which turned out not to be true. Uh, Haley, I saw that you tweeted out uh, earlier today, what's the over-under on how many speakers uh, from the podium of CPAC um, will lash out at these kids? Uh, I almost get the sense that that would have happened maybe 24 hours ago, but people are getting the sense that there's some pretty severe blowback to beating up on the kids. What, what do you think? What is, what is the over-under of uh, CPAC uh, speakers beating up on these kids? Um, I think, you know, maybe there was a little bit of a warning for them through this uh, whole debacle. Uh, but you will have a lot of, you know, gun supporters and a lot of gun rights activists talking at CPAC. And it seems sort of inevitable that this is going to come up, uh, especially since the issue is becoming more and more uh, getting more traction here in Capitol Hill. Okay, Andrew, there was another uh, Mueller investigation, uh, another Mueller indictment that that seemed to come out of absolutely nowhere. A uh, white shoe lawyer indicted for lying to uh, lying to the FBI. Can you put this in some? context. You know, the, the, the danger, of course, with this whole Russia investigation is there's too many players and it's too complicated. So you got this guy with the Dutch sounding name who's the son-in-law of a Russian oligarch who has now been indicted for uh, communications with Rick Gates about Ukrainian presidential politics. Have I sort of got the overview of that? Yeah, I mean, on, on the face of it, it's it's one of the more like absurdly obscure uh, pieces that we've yet 
uh, encountered uh, in this investigation. What it, what it plays into is uh, the fact that the uh, indictments for Paul Manafort and Richard Gates uh, last fall um, were not Richard. directly related to the uh, t- to their activities uh, with the Trump campaign, but were were related to the fact that they had been operating as uh, undeclared foreign agents, um, you know, moving around money under the table, uh, lobbying Congress uh, for, for, you know, foreign governments, uh, specifically for uh, Russian causes. Um, so this, it was this, uh, there was this report um, that, uh, and I'm not going to be able to do all the names off the top of my head. I hope you'll forgive yeah. me for that. But in 2012, <laughs> no. um, there's uh, you know the 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 Ukrainian uh, president, uh, the, the pro-Russian president of Ukraine, who uh, was who had hired Paul Manafort as a as a political consultant. Um, had his one of his political opponents jailed. Uh, that was this was actually in in 2011. Uh, one of his presidential opponents. Uh, uh, ostensibly on charges of corruption, right? Um, and so where Manafort came in and where this this uh, lawyer who's, who's, uh, who, who uh, had his plea bargain yesterday, um, where he comes in is that Manafort uh, was involved with hiring this guy's law firm, the law firm that this guy worked at, to write up a report uh, to, to send to Western nations, uh, essentially just to justify the imprisonment of, of this political opponent uh, on, on corruption charges. Um, and and uh, obviously, the, uh, the, the, the conduct of Manafort and Gates uh, surrounding this, uh, this memo, this, uh, this report that was, uh, that was put together by this law firm, um, was one of the things that was mentioned in the Manafort Gates indictment last October that they had uh, secretly uh, commissioned this, lobbied, uh, lobbied uh, our government, uh, our government officials on behalf of this memo, and then secretly paid uh, four million dollars uh, for the production of this thing. And so this this most recent uh, plea bargain that was entered into yesterday uh, was essentially just uh, a matter of this lawyer who. Prior to yesterday, nobody had had any notion was involved with any of these things. Uh, lying to the FBI about his communications with Richard Gates uh, in the fall of 2016. So it's um, it's it's all extremely it's late. Yeah, right, right. It's all it's all extremely um, you know sort of tertiary to the main things that we think about when we think about the Russia investigation. Uh, but it also goes to show that um, Manafort, or at least Gates, but probably Manafort and Gates, uh, were both still very much involved with you know their own sort of extra le- alleged extra legal dealings. Um, by this time, they were they were still communicating with you know the people they'd been communicating with all along. Obviously, they they had uh, lobbying careers that extended far back before they they joined the Trump campaign, and it was it was sorry raised eyebrows when they joined the Trump campaign because they had <laughs> you know been involved in all kinds of shady dealings like this uh, that it was suspected might end up coming back to bite them, and that's exactly sort of what we're seeing here. All right, I'm, I'd like everybody else. I'm trying to make sense and, and put this in some uh, context. So so help me with this. I'm. Um, I had a couple of takeaways from this, and I just want to bounce this off you. Number one, uh, that here's a reminder that we have no idea what Robert Mueller is doing. There's no leaks about this. That this investigation is 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 much broader. It is much more um, uh, in depth, and it's moving faster than than a lot of the the, the pundits and the talking heads and uh, you know the spinmeisters would have. And number two, what a, a a dramatic reiteration of the point. Don't even think of lying to these guys. I mean, isn't that the message? You know, to anyone, do not lie to me. Whatever I ask you, I know everything. I have all of the cards, and you are completely screwed um, if you try to cover anything up because I because I know way more than you think I know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, um, you know, it, it just goes to re reinforce what we've you sort of been been learning more and more all along, which is that if there is wrongdoing to be discovered, it's it's seems overwhelmingly likely that Robert Mueller is going to get there. Um, particularly, Paul Manafort looks to be in a, a heap of trouble now that uh, his assistant uh, Richard Gates has essentially turned state's evidence uh, against him. At least that's what's been reported. Now that uh, you know these these tertiary figures are sort of coming out of the woodwork to confirm the things uh, that, that Gates is now telling Mueller. Um, if, if, if these allegations against Manafort uh, last fall are true, um, then it's, he's going to have a, a really, really difficult time fighting them um, because he's, at, at this point he is the only person there uh, who is still actually actively fighting uh, the, the, the investigation and the indictment against him. You know, I'm going to bounce this off you, uh, Haley. It, it seems like so long ago that we were consumed with the congressional attacks on the credibility of the Mueller investigation, the attacks on the FBI, the Devin Nunes memo. All of that seems to have really died down. Has, is, is it just a temporary reprieve, um, or is, is there a significant shift in the mood and the, and the momentum of this investigation and the reaction to this investigation? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say that seems pretty temporary. Uh, and it's partly just because they're taking the week off this week. And so they aren't saying much. Um, but, you know, last week they were really focused on immigration and a couple of other things. But I, I would expect more Republicans to uh, continue to, you know, espouse this sort of anti-intelligence community uh, talking points and, and Devin Nunes to continue with uh, the memos and the other things that he has uh, suggested in the past. But I do think it's interesting because but, in in the earlier parts of last year, all we were talking about was how Congress, you know, was saying that they would hold Trump accountable and how they would, uh, you know, exercise oversight during the Russia investigations. And I just think it's interesting how quickly Republicans have flipped on that uh, this year and, and what that turning point was. But I would say that the you know starting with the indictments last last Friday, the thirteen indictments of of the Russians, the the possibility of the president going ahead and firing Bob Mueller, I, I need to go see what you guys think. I it seemed that uh, th- those odds dropped rather exponentially, uh, given the fact that look, uh, whatever you want to describe as a hoax, this is not fake news. Uh, in fact, uh, this was a serious attack on the country, and that Robert Mueller is doing some serious work. So at least, do you? I mean, remember we were we were. It seemed like we were gearing up for that possibility that we're going to have a slow-motion Saturday night massacre, and that seems more remote. Do you agree, Andrew? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely agree, and I certainly think that um, we, we we saw a remarkable you know statement uh, from from the White House, uh, sort of trying to retrofit uh, their whole response through all of last year. Um, one, uh, after Mueller's indictment last uh, Friday against those those thirteen uh, Russians and three Russian entities that were involved with this these sort of destabilizing activities that um, you know you saw Sarah Sanders yesterday come out and say, look, we've we've never denied uh, that that Russians were working to destabilize. Uh, we only denied uh, that uh, that the Trump campaign was helping and that they had any impact. And obviously the the indictment, didn't actually demonstrate that the Russians had no real impact. It just, right. you know, it said that they that this indictment was not saying that they had an impact. But obviously, they, you know, they did something. They were they were up to something, and it, it had you know something to do with what ended up happening in the election. Um, but but it was just sort of remarkable to see uh, the White House, you know, essentially. Uh, flip sides on on whether Russia was happening Russian interference is happening at all because obviously you know the the the, the president from time to time uh, over over the past year has flirted with uh, 
acknowledging that there there really were Russians working to destabilize our democratic processes. But he always sort of left a left a sort of plausible deniability window open. You know, maybe it was the Russians, maybe it was some other country, maybe it was some random hacker sitting on his bed. You know, we don't really know. Obviously, you know, the intelligence community did know, and now we all know as well after this uh, Mueller indictment. Yeah, and, and this is kind of the red flag, and I'm, I'm surprised that people on Twitter and in the White House, which is maybe the same thing, you know, ha- haven't realized that it's a bad idea to jump out there prematurely and say, well, aha, this is all the Mueller, the Mueller investigation has come up with. They, they haven't proved all of this because we just don't know. Uh, I want to talk in just a couple of moments about uh, Billy Graham and the significance of uh, the cultural significance of his passing earlier today. Uh, but I want to shout out uh, for one of our for one of our our sponsors, Away Travel. Um, for those of you, anyone that, that travels, you know that your luggage shouldn't actually cost more than your plane ticket. And Away Travel's luggage is designed with the highest quality materials and still all under three hundred bucks for twenty dollars off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com/standard20 and use promo code standard20 during checkout. Uh, Away Travel uses these high-quality materials, offering much, much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling direct to you. So you can choose any variety of colors, five sizes. You want the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large for extended stays, the kids carry-on, all of that. Free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. So again, for $20 off of a suitcase, you can go right now. Visit awaytravel.com slash standard20 and use promo code standard20 during checkout. And one more time, that's away20.com standard20. Use promo code standard20 at checkout. Uh, at the age of 99, Billy Graham passed away. And, you know, uh, it's been a long time since, of course, he was, uh, he was at the center of our cultural life. But I was watching some of the, the obituaries this morning, and it's hard to overstate the significance that he had, not just in religion, but in American culture, the relationship between culture and politics. So, Haley, I, I noted that you were tweeting about, you were retweeting some of the uh, the remembrances of uh, Billy Graham. How would you describe his his significance in American religious culture? Well, yeah, he uh, definitely is an important part of the evangelical community. And, and you had uh, Russell Moore, who uh, heads up the, I believe, religious... Southern Baptist, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the Baptist uh, conven- Southern Baptist Convention. He's uh, a great guy in any case. Yes, he is great. He, he tweeted that he views Billy Graham as, you know, the greatest messenger for Christ since, you know, Paul the Apostle. I was I, okay. That's pretty big. It it is a glowing <laughs> review. So um, I, I think that's the best way to summarize just just how much he meant uh, for that community. You know, it's it's he, he of course was a you know a predecessor for the other you know televangelists. You know, many of whom I think perhaps you know discredited what they were doing. Um, he had relationships with politicians, but it doesn't seem to be the same. It was not really the same as what's really happened and I don't want to get into a you know political discussion about you know evangelical Christians and where they are politically or how Franklin Graham is different from a Billy Graham um, but it, it is it is remarkable uh, in terms of giant figures of the 20th century uh, that that if you make a short list Billy Graham is going to be on it now I'm guess, guessing that people below a certain age will only have read about him or or seen him as a character in in the crown 
You guys ever seen ever seen the crown? How when he goes and visits and Queen Elizabeth wants to meet Billy Graham? I mean, that's how big he was. That the Queen of England actually wanted to meet with him, even though she was the head of her own church, and and and, and, and had him and, and 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 had him preach. So, Andrew, do you have any memory at all of Billy Graham? No, I think that uh, you know both both Haley and I are probably you know too young to have you know any any memories of of Graham when he was sort of in his in his heyday um but I I do think that you know he just as a as a cultural figure you know he he represented something that uh that is extremely rare which is a person who was sort of achieved a high profile um in in a religious setting you know became sort of a a cultural celebrity because of his religious crusades and his and his sort of his 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 moral calling and, and each of those things, but who actually uh, lived up to the the, the, the sort yeah. of public example that he set, which is you know uh, un- unfortunately um, you know not a thing that you see in, in incredibly often. And I, and also um, at, at the same time, just to to get a little bit into the um, his. Uh, crossover with politics. Obviously, you know the the intersection of religion and politics uh, is something that we've we've seen in America for for a long time, and 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 Billy Graham was no exception. But I think that the um, it's interesting that the that the way those two things intersected for him, perhaps as opposed to uh, uh, some American evangelicals today, was that he was trying to take uh, religion to politics as opposed to sort of trying to import politics into religion. He was he was trying you know he was preaching to presidents and you know like taking the gospel to the white house and all those sorts of things as opposed to um you know taking uh, going to a pulpit and, and preaching to his congregation that they needed to support a certain political figure or certain political policies those sorts of things oh i think that you're exactly right in fact if you go back and you, uh, you know, listen to some of his sermons what's really striking is is how and this seems a little bit ironic how deeply christian and christ-centered they were how gospel-centered they were and that was his his message and and he never allowed the politics to 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 override that particular message i mean he was he was he was an evangelical in the old sense of evangelical all right haley i want to ask you and i feel like this is groundhog day because every day we ask the 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 question where where are we at if anywhere on immigration and you have been covering this um, in great detail uh, Jeff Flake has a, has a proposal for sort of a uh, slimmed down, skinny, temporary fix. Is that going to go anywhere? First of all, what, what is the Flake proposal? It's, it's called three for three. Is that right? Yes. So the, the proposal would be to extend protections for DACA recipients for three years. And that's just the 700,000 number and not the uh, a million or more number of dreamers who aren't registered with the program, just 700,000. Uh, for three years in exchange for $7.6 billion of funding, which is the first three years uh, for the construction of Trump's wall. So Flake himself, uh, you know, he wrote in an op-ed in the Washington Post, I believe yesterday or the day before, um, that he, he'll be the first to admit that the three-for-three three approach is uh, far from a perfect f- solution. Um, but, you know, we, we are, in a sense, sort of trapped in Groundhog Day. We're back where we started because... Congress is about to be considering, you know, another massive spending bill uh, with a government shutdown deadline coming up on March 23rd. And immigration talks are going to sort of, you know, find their way into that debate again, uh, which is, of course, what caused one government shutdown in January, uh, threatened to cause another one in February. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Congress hasn't really had a good track record of dealing with spending and DACA at the same time. 
Yeah, and there's no reason to believe that, that is going to change. Uh, thank you both for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes, and we will be back to do this all over again tomorrow.